We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select. Welcome to Picks for Pace, presented by the Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman. Of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Usaid Koshal, as well. Usaid, we are recording this episode in December. It's that time of the year. Winter is upon us. We're past Thanksgiving. It is Christmas season for those who celebrate that and um, all, all the holiday festivities going on starting up right now. But Usaid, how are you doing today, man? And you know, we have uh, lots to talk about today on uh, today's podcast with everything going down, not only in the NFL, but just college football in general has been a wild ride. Uh, how are you doing today, man? Yeah, I'm doing well. I mean, you're right. You know, winter's upon us. It's also a really weird time of the year because it's the first time in recent memory that I can remember. You're going to have a couple teams that are on the cups of making the playoffs in college football, but unfortunately head coaches have obviously gone ahead and left for quote unquote better opportunities. And there's a lot that went on, which just goes to show the sports world never really sleeps. I mean, it started with Lincoln Riley basically leaving OU for USC and then going ahead and from there, we saw Brian Kelly basically leave Notre Dame and then go to LSU, which again, we already anticipated and knew the LSU game was going to be, or the LSU gig was going to be open because Ed Orgeron, this was reported, I think in like mid-October that Ed Orgeron just wasn't going to be back. So a lot going on. And obviously you have Notre Dame, you know, hiring, promoting from within and hiring the 35-year-old now head coach, but former defensive coordinator and former Bears linebacker, Marcus Freeman. So really a lot to break down and discuss a lot of really intriguing openings. And then Florida fired Dan Mullen and I think hired Billy Napier. So yeah, a lot going on over the last like week or so. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I definitely want to get in, you know, into those hirings and firings over there. Uh, Because like you said, I mean, there is a ton to cover with that. Um, But before we get into our the head coaching discussion with college football right now and, and the absolute wild carousel that it is 
where it seems like all the big names are on the move and big programs have openings to fill at this point. Um, I, I want to touch on the game that we just saw this past week uh, week uh, for the Bears uh, on Thanksgiving against the Lions. Real briefly here, just to get your thoughts on this on this one here. You say obviously the Bears winning sixteen to fourteen over the Detroit Lions on a last second field goal. Um, what were your general thoughts from that game? Andy Dalton got the start through for over 300 yards, which uh, fun fact or not so fun fact, really, if you think about it, but that was the first 300 yard game by a Bears quarterback since I think week nine of last season when Nick Foles did it. So uh, not a great stat <laughs> for uh, the Bears passing game right there, but it's a very typical stat for the Bears. Uh, so what were your thoughts on that game on Thursday? And are, do you think there are any major takeaways from, from that in terms of, you know, this team long-term or for the rest of this season? Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway to me was just seeing how a lot of the younger guys stepped up. And when I say a lot of the younger guys, I mean, look, you look at the 2020 draft class, Darnell Mooney, Cole Komet, Jalen Johnson, and then you can even throw fifth-round pick Travis Gibson in there, the pass rusher. The big takeaway is that those four guys are essentially one of the big reasons that the Bears won this game. And Right now, and I said this on another show too, but I'm going to bring it back again for our listeners on this podcast. If you were to line up and look at the 2020 draft class, you would have a hard time finding an argument against the Bears having one of the top classes, okay? Because Mooney, Kmet, Johnson, they have developed into really solid contributors. And then you get Travis Gibson. I mean, he's taking advantage of the reps that are being given to him with Khalil Mack having a season ending injury. And guess what? He's flashed a lot of potential to the point where I'm not going to say Travis Gibson is going to be due for a big year three in 2022. But I also think that he's basically showing and he's making an argument for, yeah, you know what? If the bears do need additional cap space in 2022 and they decide, well, we have to move on from Robert Quinn. I think that Travis Gibson's a player that you could step in and plug in right there into the defense and things would be totally fine. But the point is, is that not having a first round pick in that draft class and then only having five or six picks. Well, guess what? You know what? The bears are pretty much hit on every single pick of their 2020 draft class outside of Kendall Wilder, who's had his ups and downs. He's been kind of questionable. Obviously he got benched. The defensive coordinator, Sean Desai mentioned today, Hey, look, Kendall's still in our plans. Well, I think the reason Wilder didn't plan out and we saw Artie Burns play in this game is simply because Kendall Wilder at Eastern Georgia was more of a slot cornerback never really a guy who could play outside on the boundaries. And then you look at Lacavius Simmons, Arlington Hambright. Those guys are just merely depth for the offensive line, but they really haven't shown us anything special. So, hey, anytime I think you can go into a draft class and have four picks, none of them being first rounders, and you hit on those four, it bodes real well for drafting as well as evaluation. Yeah, obviously, if Justin Fields is not going to be playing, the thing that you look for as a Bears fan is some of these other young guys and see – how they're, how they're developing. And like you said, I mean, they're getting good con- contributions out of the 2020 class. And even so far, the 2021 classes has social, shown some promise as well. We look at Larry Borum uh, starting and, and looking, I wouldn't say he's looked great uh, at right tackle, but he's cer- certainly looks like he's passable for an NFL uh, t- tackle, which it, it says a lot because tackle play, it's really hard to get guys that can actually play an NFL caliber level. And, and Borum certainly has done that. Obviously, Khalil Herbert has been really good when he's had his opportunities. And, you know, Kairos Tonga, you know, a nice depth piece on the defensive line as well. So um, all good things there. But like you said, 2020 class, uh, it's 
pretty clear at this point that Jalen Johnson and Darnell Mooney are going to be building blocks for this team long-term moving forward. You know, Jalen Johnson, he looks like a number one uh, corner. And Darnell Mooney, while I, I don't buy the wide receiver one hype that I think this Bears organization wants to push him as for some reason, um, you know, I still think he's a very good, probably a wide receiver two uh, for most ideal offenses. And uh, he, he, he's been really good with Allen Robinson out over the last couple of weeks with a hamstring injury. Uh, he, he's really shown that, you know, if you give him a lot of targets, he can produce for you and put up pretty big numbers. So, uh, and obviously we know that the speed is there, but like you said, Cole Komet, he's shown some nice improvement um, over the, over the past few weeks of this season. Um, you know, I, I'm personally still not super high on him. I, he's been about what I've expected out of him so far when he was drafted, which, you know, solid player, but probably nothing spectacular, but you know, he's contributing and he, and he's, he's putting up pretty decent production right now, which is all you can ask for him. And then Travis Gibson, man, he, he's been really impressive, I think, for a fifth-round pick. And um, obviously, Kendall Vildor, it, it looks like that pick is not going to work out. Again, fifth-round pick, you know, what can you do? Uh, but I, I do agree. I, I think it is a situation where Vildor is probably playing out of position right now. And I'm, I'm kind of confused, like, why, you know, with Duke Shelley now out, for the foreseeable future on IR, like if you're going to bench Vildor on the outside, why not give him a chance in slot and see what he can do there? So that, that's a questionable thing for me in all this. I, I just don't get what this coaching staff is doing with some of their personnel decisions, but you know, it is what it is. Obviously we're, we're seeing some of these young guys develop and that's really the only thing that matters from that end of things in terms of, you know, the actual game itself, in terms of the content of the game, you know, this was not a fun, a very fun game to watch. This is probably the last thing I'll, I'll mention for it. And then we can move on to a lot of the college football talk uh, you said, but yeah, it just was not a really fun game to watch. It was one of those things where um, you kind of knew going into it, it wasn't going to be a great one. And it kind of proved to be that obviously it's nice to see the bears win, but the entire time I was thinking like, as embarrassing as it would be to lose to the Lions, like I, I wouldn't be mad if, you know, the Bears were to lose that game, especially with all the drama that week with, you know, Matt Nagy's head coaching job being up in the air. Uh, just what a week for the Bears. And, you know, as we transition to college football here, what a week it's been so far in college football as well. So you said you mentioned it earlier. We had to get into this college football coaching carousel talk. And uh, I'll start off. We'll start off with Lincoln Riley because you're right. It definitely did. You know, that was kind of the spark for this entire thing. Lincoln Riley leaving for USC. So it, it's been rumored over the past couple of years that Riley, um, you know, has been looking to be on the outset. Oklahoma has been, he's been rumored in a bunch of big jobs. Obviously LSU was a big connection. You know, there were reports that, you know, the, the, the deal was pretty much all but done for Lincoln Riley at LSU. And they ended up, I guess, USC must have come in with a big offer at the last minute. And if you look at some of the conditions of the offer, we don't have the official numbers here, but, you know, it's rumored to be around $110 million in total for Lincoln Riley. We don't know the exact length as of right now, but um, it, there's rumored to be like 24-7 access to a private jet for him, him and his family. Apparently the USC, the school is buying his family, their houses, like just going all in all out to get Lincoln Riley to coach there at USC, just crazy stuff here. And, and of course this all started with Oklahoma, just having a down year uh, this year. Um, you know, they really weren't ever in the college football championship, you know, contention at all with the quarterback controversy going on there between Spencer Rattler and his struggles and Caleb Williams. And after Oklahoma lost to Oklahoma state this past week, um, you know, the rumors fired up once again, and now Lincoln Riley going to USC. So 
this is a huge deal, I think, for the landscape of college football. Uh, what's your general take from Lincoln Riley? Why he's decided to make the move outside of obviously the financial aspect of things? You know, what do you think is is he going to bring to USC at this point? Well, let me start with this. Is it's been such a weird year for Oklahoma, and you look at kind of it was basically let, let me put it this way: it's been a roller coaster of emotions kind of year for Oklahoma, just in the sense that you start the season and let's just flash back all the way to the spring. You know, you rerun to the point this point in the spring and kind of everyone was talking about how, Hey, listen, there's a chance that Spencer Rattler is one of the top prospects in the 2022 NFL draft being a quarterback. And then halfway through the season, you know, Rattler loses his job. He never really seemed to gain his footing. And then you have this freshman Caleb Williams step in who's like 18, 19 years old, hasn't started a game in two years, really impressed in his first start. And just watching Caleb Williams, I think the big takeaway is that he's actually a much better fit for Lincoln Riley's offense because of his own talent compared to what a guy like Spencer Rattler ever did. Now I think for Lincoln Riley, the answer for him is simple. You know, he's proven time and time again, Hey, I am a really smart head coach. Okay. I can play at a high level. Okay. And I can coach at a high level. So I get my teams to be relevant year in and year out, as well as just, he's got phenomenal recruiting pitches too. Okay. I think that having a really good head coach in college is what, tends to make all the difference in terms of decisions that people want to make and that these recruits want to make. So ultimately you're looking at USC. I mean, USC, I think as a program has kind of fallen off over the last couple of years, they've had their bright moments here and there, but it's not as prominent of a school as it seemingly once was. And so I think for USC, from their viewpoint, bringing in a big name head coach like Lincoln Riley is all about kind of restoring this pride in this tradition to this seemingly once great program and if you're all i'm sorry if you're oklahoma you are basically looking at this and saying all right this is a major issue and why because keep in mind oklahoma is in the big 12 and they just paid a lot of money essentially to move from the big 12 all the way to the sec because at the time the whole viewpoint and thought process was well lincoln riley's ready and oklahoma's ready to go ahead and compete with the big dogs. I bet you it's a move that they're probably regretting right now. Now, certainly Oklahoma, if they get the right head coach, they could still certainly be relevant. But ultimately, like when you take that kind of a college head coach away from a program, it's time to basically start rebuilding the program from the ground up. And, you know, getting away from Lincoln Riley here, I mean, we saw as soon as he signed with USC and as soon as the announcement was official kind of what happened was basically time for a lot of these five-star recruits to decommit or just flip their commitments and say hey Lincoln you know we're not going to be coming to OU anymore we're going to be following you to USC you had a couple guys in the transfer portal to basically enter and say yeah you know what we're going to USC we're following coach Riley we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I mean, the recruiting element this of this is is really the game changer here. And I mean, as much as this helps USC, this is going to, like you said, I mean, it's going to hurt Oklahoma a ton, especially going to the SEC now. And I wonder if that was part of, you know, Lincoln Riley's decision-making to, you know, go to USC because Oklahoma going to the SEC, you're not going to be the top dog in the SEC if you're Oklahoma, even if you get a little bit of a recruiting boost. Obviously, Alabama is a top dog in that conference. Georgia, you know, LSU when they're good, Florida when they're good. You know, the SEC is a tough conference to win if you're Oklahoma just entering there. And, you know, I think Lincoln and Riley could have seen the writing on the, on the wall and said, you know what, it's, I've had it relatively easy at Oklahoma, basically being the top program easily by far in the Big 12 for ever since he was there. And, you know, if you have a chance to go to USC where the Pac-12 is wide open and not a very strong conference right now, like why wouldn't you make that move? They're going to offer, you know, they're going to back up the money truck for you right there and just basically, you know, offer you everything you could possibly want to be their head coach there. So I think it, you know, from the decision-making aspect of things, I think it makes a lot of sense for Riley here, but, you know, sticking with the recruiting aspect of things, I mean, you look at, you know, you know, the type of players and, and the recruits that Oklahoma's losing here. I mean, the, the biggest one right now is Malachi Nelson, the five-star quarterback uh, going into the 2023 class. Um, he, he's already, you know, decommitted from Oklahoma and has committed to USC. So you talk about guys going from Oklahoma and then going to USC to follow Lincoln Riley. I mean, this is what it's all about. And, you know, a lot of these programs, you know, for these players, they're not, you know, you know committing to these programs for, you know, the school or the program itself, they're, they're going to these programs because of the coaches and what they think they can do for not only their development as players, but also their prospects as, you know, and potentially maybe a future NFL draft draft pick, especially when you get to these four-star, five-star recruits, you know, they're already thinking about, you know, what's the best path for me going forward, you know, to get to the NFL and, you know, have a successful career there. Lincoln Riley, he's shown, especially with, you know, his offensive players that, you know, he has a nice track record, especially at quarterback, of getting these guys, you know, ready to go to the NFL and get picked high in the NFL. So if you're a player like Nelson, you know, why to go stay at OU to an uncertain situation where you don't know who the head coach is going to be? You don't know, you know, whether the program's going to be the same, uh, especially going to the SEC. Why not follow to USC with Lincoln Riley, especially with Nelson's case? You know, he lives pretty I think he's he's living in the southern Southern California area as well. So it's like it makes all the sense in the world for a guy like Nelson to do that. And you know USC, I mean, this really opens up a lot of things for them recruiting wise because Southern California, you know, it's a hotbed for collegiate talent. And you know USC over the years talk about their decline as a program. They just haven't been able to maximize that and then get these guys to recruit them to USC for whatever reason. You know, a lot of these guys leave the area to go to bigger schools like Alabama and you know Oklahoma and Ohio State you know all over the country basically not staying home in Los Angeles at USC so um, you know that's a, a big deal right there and then in terms of the transfer portal you're I think we're going to see a lot of big players in Oklahoma right now transferring out you know Spencer Rattler he's already entered the transfer portal already so you know he's not no longer an option in the 2022 draft class like we were talking about 
you know, before the season even began that Rattler might be the quarterback one in this class. Well, it turns out he's not in this quarterback class after all. He's going to be entering the transfer portal as we've kind of you know speculated would be the case when uh, he lost his job in the first place at Caleb Williams. So um, that's another big storyline here. You know, where is Spencer Rattler going to go? That's going to be certainly an interesting storyline to follow as well. Yeah, and I just want to add two things on here. I mean, so number one, let me touch on Spencer Rattler real quick because he basically, again, I think that had things been stable in Norman this season, there's a chance you're seeing Spencer Rattler leave Oklahoma for the NFL draft. But Spencer's transferring and entering the transfer portal, not because Lincoln Riley's leaving, but I think more so just to clarify because he's seeing this as a big opportunity to basically say, look, I essentially have – one more season to really rebuild my stock. And instead of being the top or a quarterback prospect in 2022, let me kind of see if I can go ahead and be one of the top prospects in 2023 and kind of get back to playing at the level that he was in like 2019, 2020. And then regarding Oklahoma's move to the SEC, one domino, and I think one factor that no one's really talking about is that there are a lot of conflicting reports when it came to Lincoln Riley, as well as Oklahoma moving to the SEC, because you had other news, you had big radio outlets out there like Fox Sports Radio, as well as a couple other news outlets kind of reporting, hey, listen, Lincoln Riley did not like and just was one of the people that was so against moving from the Big 12 to the SEC, whereas Inside OU, I know the athletic director was basically saying, hey, Lincoln's on board with this. And so ultimately, I think that's another big thing is that Lincoln kind of saw, and you alluded to this too, just in terms of, all right, you know what? I necessarily cannot continue to be the top dog, and my program is going to be a meddling program if Oklahoma does move to the SEC. And so ultimately, let me get out and let me do something where I'm going to a program that, like I said, is one story, but ultimately at the end of the day has fallen off a bit. Now, Southern California has a lot of NFL talent, you know, I'm sorry, NFL as well as just college football and high school talent to the point where it's almost like Riley's trying to, Riley basically picked the school and the area that fit the best for him and said, yeah, you know what, let me go ahead and um, move the USC because I know with the level of talent that comes out of Southern California for football, I think you're going to see a quick turnaround for USC. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when USC, one of the things, you know, especially with the Pac-12 kind of being on a decline as a conference over the past few years, if USC can get back to its former glory as a true powerhouse program, I think that does nothing but just improve college football as a whole because, you know, it's really become, you know, Alabama and the SEC, you know, Clemson and what they're doing, uh, Ohio State, Notre Dame's somewhat competitive. And then, you know, Oklahoma and the Big 12. And, you know, we kind of forget about the Pac-12 teams because, you know, other than Oregon having a couple good teams here and there over the last decade, there really hasn't been a, a ton of talent from the Pac-12 or a ton of great teams from the Pac-12 that can really go up with some of the bigger teams in the, in the college football landscape here. So I, I think this is an exciting move for college football as a whole. You know, obviously uh, it, 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 it's not the best timing for Oklahoma. Uh, you know, their season still isn't done yet. They have a bowl game coming up, uh, but, you know, Lincoln Riley, you know, he's going to do what, you know, what's best for him. And that, that was just the case here. And obviously I think like we kind of mentioned this before, I, I think the SEC, move for Oklahoma was a big factor in this and obviously it it sounds like Lincoln Riley just didn't want to be a part of that transition and going to the SEC for Oklahoma there but one coach who wasn't 
uh, scared off by the prospects of, you know, coaching in the SEC is Brian Kelly, who now leaves Notre Dame uh, to go to LSU and fill that job vacancy like we talked about there. Um, and this is a situation where we kind of have a little bit more details on this, a 10-year deal for Brian Kelly here to be the coach for LSU, filling that void right there. And this is another interesting one because Notre Dame, um, you know, they're a team that's still kind of in the running for a college football playoff spot here, depending on, you know, some of the things that happen this upcoming weekend with the conference championships coming up, which we'll kind of cover in a little bit coming up shortly. Um, you know, what, what do you think was the motivating process here for, for Kelly? I mean, obviously, I, when, you, when these big programs like LSU throw all the big type of numbers that they do, and LSU, I think they have a little bit more wiggle room in terms of like the facilities and uh, the resources, I think, to recruit that Kelly wants rather than Notre Dame. Um, you know, what, what was the big, what do you think was the big factor here for Brian Kelly making this move right now in, in his current state? Yeah, well, when you look at Brian Kelly, I mean, he's 60 years old. He's had a phenomenal career as a head coach. I think he's won just under 300 games. But the deciding factor was likely, hey, I was successful at Notre Dame and in the Big Ten, the second best college football conference in the country. How about I go ahead and take a shot at playing with the big boys and going ahead and playing in the SEC? And I don't blame him at all for wanting to. I think anytime you watch these Notre Dame games, what you're seeing is Brian Kelly's a head coach who's very on top of things, but who's also very fiery and passionate. And then also has this competitive spirit that quite frankly seems to be really unmatched. And so for him, I think this was more so about being able to play against the best of the best, because when you do look at Brian Kelly's time as a head coach, I mean, just looking at it, you know, he really kind of got to the division one level in 2004, I believe when he was playing at center, I'm sorry, when he was coaching at the central Michigan, then went to Cincinnati, had the 10, 11 year run at Notre Dame and is now at LSU. So ultimately for him, I think this was just more so about being able to coach in the sec and being able to play and compete against the big dogs. Now, in terms of what this does for the tigers program is I think you have another really good head coach in place that can come in and that can kind of help rebuild this program because it seemed like it was a long time ago, but it was just two years ago that LSU kind of had all that talent on offense and Clyde Edwards, Alaire and Joe Burrow and Terrace Marshall Jr. Thaddeus Moss, Jamar Chase, even they had some really good talent on the defensive side of the ball as well, such as um, Patrick Queen, the linebacker, a couple of really good pass rushers to Caleb on Chasen. And so all that talent in the NFL. Now that was at Orgeron's thing, but I think, this is now Brian Kelly's chance to leave his mark on LSU. Yeah. And I think if, if you're LSU, you look at the state of the program over the last decade, obviously the Alabama has just completely run roughshod over the sec over, over this entire period And LSU. They've had a couple of nice teams here and there. You talk about the 2019 team, which was a historic uh, season and a historic team in general, one of the best teams um, in modern college football history. When you look at what they did that year, uh, but when you look at the track record of LSU, that, that season was really an outlier. They haven't been this consistently great program that's in the running for college football championships year after year after year. They're, they're a team that is constantly on the outside looking in when it comes to this thing. It's, again, it's Alabama and it's Georgia have kind of been like the top two dogs in the SEC over the past, I don't know, five, seven years or so. Or so. And LSU, again, other than that one outlier year, they haven't been quite that. They've been like in that second tier of teams where, you know, they're good. They're a good, really good college football team, just not the contending type that 
you would expect a, a school like them to be in, especially all the talent that they can draw to them and recruit in that area. Um, when you go to a guy like Brian Kelly, who, I mean, yeah, he hasn't had Notre Dame as a, I, I wouldn't say Notre Dame's been a true uh, college football championship contender at all during his tenure at Notre Dame, but he's had them, you know, constantly, consistently in that area where they are, if they're not in the college football championship playoff, they're right on the borderline there. They're, they're in the conversation every single year, uh, despite the fact that, again, they don't have the type of resources and recruiting potential at, as they would at LSU. So it makes sense for LSU to go for a big dog and, and uh, Brian Kelly, who is a big, big name head coach here and one of the better head coaches uh, in college football right now. And, you know, Brian Kelly, you know, we'll see what he ends up doing here with LSU kind of revitalize this program because they've gone on some tough years after, uh, you know, the 2019 season, you know, can he get this program back on track to where they can be a dominant program here in the SEC? Um, you know, for Brian Kelly, it's been long rumored that this was a dream job for him, the LSU. And, you know, now he gets a chance to, you know, get that job now and see what he can do with it. So I'll be interested to see uh, what Brian Kelly can do with LSU going forward. And obviously there's going to be a ton of, of, of movement here when it comes to the rest of the college football coaching landscape. Any, anything else you want to cover on that regard, you know, before we get into the college football playoff and, and some of the big games from this past weekend and then going into the conference championships? Yeah, so just one final point here regarding Notre Dame. I mean, Notre Dame quickly replaced Brian Kelly. And they, like I said, they opted to promote within, from within choosing – defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman. Now, a lot of people seemingly were concerned about the age of Marcus Freeman being just whatever, 34, 35 years old. But ultimately, I think when you look at it, one of the more intriguing things is just that some of the other head coaches that have kind of been hired over the last couple, well, been hired by some of these bigger programs, what's happened is they've been completely fine. I mean, I saw one tweet where it was just like, Dabo Sweeney was 39 when he was promoted at Clemson. Lincoln Riley was 33 when promoted at Oklahoma. And Ryan Day was 39 when promoted at Ohio State. And so the reason that I want to kind of reference that tweet from an ESPN reporter is because at the end of the day, I think that age isn't necessarily a determining factor when it comes to hiring these college head coaches. I think that schools are more and more just looking for people that can appeal to these kind of college recruits that are coming out and then also kind of these um you know being essentially players coaches first yeah recruiting is the name of the game when it comes to college football here and, and if you think that he can uh again like you said relate to some of these kids coming out of high school and some of these recruits and and bring in you know more talent here you know i think that's a good move to kind of go with that as your head guy and see if he can kind of be that CEO of the entire program here. He's been a defensive coordinator for Notre Dame over the past couple of years. So um, it'll be interesting to see how Notre Dame does now that Brian Kelly is out. I think one thing to keep in mind here, um, none of the assistants for Notre Dame actually left to join Brian Kelly at, L at LSU. So it's going to be for all intents and purposes, the same coaching staff at Notre Dame uh, going forward, unless some of these guys decide to leave after the season. So just another thing to keep in mind here um, as you know, things continue to kind of change and everything, <laughs> the wheel continues to turn uh, for the college football coaching landscape. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, you say, I want to get to uh, from the coaching conversation to the actual you know, games going on right now because there are a lot of intriguing storylines here as we kind of near the end of the college football season and really the college football playoff picture really comes into focus here because it's getting down to that point where this is the last week coming up to really determine which four teams are going to be making it into the college football playoff. So uh, before we get to that, we have to talk about some of the games that happened this past weekend. And I want to start off with Ohio State, Michigan, because this was a big game here in terms of deciding who's going to be in the Big Ten championship between these two teams. Obviously, Ohio State, they went into this game uh, ranked second in the nation. Michigan was ranked number five. And this was a big game for really a referendum on Jim Harbaugh and his tenure here as Michigan head coach. And I've got to say, uh, this was a, a dominant win for Michigan here. They, they came out here 42 to 27. Uh, the first win against Ohio State for Michigan in the Jim Harbaugh era. I think this is the first win for Michigan over Ohio State in over a decade, I believe. I, I might be wrong on that, but it's certainly been, it's been a long time for Michigan here. And I, really what this comes down to, you say it is Michigan just dominated this game in the trenches. They had their run game going. I think they ran for over 200 yards in this one. Uh, their offensive line was physical. They were dominant at the point of attack and they were just getting after this Ohio State defense on, on that side of the ball. And then defensively for Michigan, we had to talk about Aiden Hutchinson here. He's been a fast riser here. He was always a guy who I always felt like had potential to be a first-round type of talent because he always had the physical tools. It was just a matter of finding the right role for him and him putting it all together. And he he's done that this year. He might be, you know, you know, going into the year, Kayvon Thibodeau out of Oregon was considered by, you know, the consensus number one edge player in this class. And Hutchinson's giving him a run for his money. I think he had double-digit pressures in this game against Ohio State. I mean, he was single-handedly dominating against a very, very good offensive line that Ohio State has, which with a bunch of NFL prospects of their own right on the roster as well. So, uh, you know, this game was a, a really important, critical game for Michigan here, and they're setting themselves up really well to make the college football here playoff here. Yeah, so you're right. Michigan did win its first game against Ohio State in probably, I think it's since like 2011, right? But um, so really it was kind of all Ohio State from 2011 till now. But then anyway, Harbaugh finally snapped that streak. This game right here, you're right. Aiden Hutchinson, I thought was the best player on the field. And again, you know, you're, I'll reiterate this too. Everyone thought it was just going to be Kayvon Thibodeau and everyone else. I think that Aiden Hutchinson is kind of right up there with Kayvon Thibodeau in the sense that him being a blue chip 
prospect as a pass rusher that is going to go ahead and shake up the first round of the, or I should really say the top five of the 2022 NFL draft. Now, what I really like about Hutchinson is this is you're getting a player who's like six foot five, 270. So he's a very tall player. And then he's really lengthy too. He's got great arms. Really this season, he's kind of broken out and you're seeing Michigan place Aiden Hutchinson all over the field. Now I'm going to say this is that 2021 has been a big year for Aiden Hutchinson. He's kind of gotten his career back on track and developed into one of the top pass rushers in the country. 2020, well, his season was cut short because of a um, leg injury that he sustained. But ultimately when you look at it, like Aiden Hutchinson has had his fair share of really strong performance. I think it was in 2018, or I think, I'm sorry, 2019 or 2020, where Michigan was playing Iowa and then Tristan Wirtz was the starting offensive tackle and Aiden Hutchinson just absolutely had his best day there. Now switching over to head coach Harbaugh, I think what this finally shows is that he's been at Michigan for so long. Now you finally get that first one against Ohio State and Ultimately, what that means is that I know there's been some speculation about, hey, could Harbaugh make the jump back to the NFL? There's some speculation about Harbaugh possibly even being in line for the next Bears or for the next head coach of the Bears. All that stuff right now, I think, really takes a backseat because there is a $2 million buyout in Harbaugh's contract. But ultimately, at the end of the day, when you look at it, I think this win is kind of enough for him to solidify and say, yeah, you know what? We're going to go. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to stay in Ann Arbor for the next couple of years and just not kind of make the jump to the NFL because Jim's kind of shown at this point, like he's got guaranteed job security for a long time if he continues to stay at Michigan. Yeah, there really isn't any reason for Jim Harbaugh to leave. I, I saw that as well on Twitter. Bears Twitter was like freaking out about Jim Harbaugh. Maybe he's like the perfect candidate for to be the next Bears head coach when Matt Nagy is inevitably fired, which is looking like that's going to be the case here coming up. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't see it. I, I think you know Harbaugh. He's at his alma mater at Michigan. Um, he seems to be. He seems to have the program on the right track in terms of he's finally gotten them you know, over the hump, so to speak. He's gotten them to beat Ohio State. He's got them in the chance to compete for a college football championship here. I don't think he's leaving anytime soon. I, I think he's it's one of those situations where um, you know, things would have to be catastrophic for Michigan going forward, uh, in order for him to leave. I just I just don't think, you know, why leave again, like you said, he has like the job security there to where you know, he, he will only leave Michigan or be fired on his terms at Michigan. You know, he's not gonna get fired from that job, I don't think. And, you know, why go into a situation where you're going to the NFL where, you know, you don't know how long the leash is going to be for some of these jobs here. You don't know, you know, again, like the, the turnover in the NFL is so quick. You know, if you're not, you know, great year after year after year, if you're not a, a truly great head coach where your team's always, you know, in the playoffs and contending, you, you know, you, your job is always on the line. So it makes no sense for Harbaugh from that perspective. I, I think he stays uh, in Michigan going forward. And I think any talk of him being the Bears head coach is kind of nonsense at this point. I, I just don't see that happening. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was a, a, a showcase game for obviously Aiden Hutchinson. You know, I, again, I'm really curious to see, you know, where he goes compared to some of these other edge players, because this is a great edge class or shaping out to be a really good edge class. And we'll be breaking that down, obviously, after the year where we finally get to focus in on all these guys. But Hutchinson is going to be a name at the top of that list, I think, along with a guy like Thibodeau. And it's going to be really fun, you know, to go back and forth on that argument right here because Thibodeau, he's more of that, you know, athletic, just absolute freak 
as a player. Um, maybe not the most polished pass rusher at this point, but just has all the physical tools you could ask for. While Hutchinson, um, again, not as explosive, but certainly a great athlete in his own right. And he, he just has a lot of, of power and finesse, uh, not a finesse, but, uh, you know, good fundamentals to his passers as well. Has a lot of versatility with how he can rush a passer, but that speed to power element that he showcased, he had that one rep, you know, that was highlighted by a lot of uh, people where I think it was against going up against Thayer Munford um, at left tackle. Um, who's filling in at left tackle uh, where he just plowed him over. Like he was nothing uh, just absolute ridiculous power that he showcased. And, Again, it was on display there in that game against Michigan against Ohio State. And you know, now Michigan, they are officially now the number two ranked team in the country. They're gonna be going up against Iowa in the uh, Big Ten championship game. I, I think Michigan, uh, they're gonna go out and win that one, but you know, that's gonna be a big one because it's a situation where, where they win, they're in. If they lose, though, that opens the door where they could maybe be out on the outside looking in, but you know, we'll see what happens there. Uh, the second game I wanted to cover here, you said, uh, is Alabama versus Auburn. This is a, another interesting one where there's a lot on the line here. You know, the Iron Bowl is always a classic every single year, although it's kind of been, um, you know, even though Alabama has been the better program over the last decade, it always seems like this game is always a good one. You know, Auburn always gives Alabama their best shot every single year or most years, it, it seems like. Um, and this was, a clear example of that as well, you know, Auburn, they were up for the majority of this game. It really came down to a miraculous comeback late where Alabama, their offense couldn't do anything the entire game. Bryce Young, he finished the game 25 of 51, 317 yards, two touchdowns and interceptions. So not the greatest stat line necessarily in the world, but um, the big takeaway here is uh, Alabama winning 24 to 22 in, in overtime uh, was just Bryce Young, Again, this offense not having a great day, coming up big, making huge throws down the stretch. I mean, that one throw he had to tie the game uh, where he throws at Ja'Cory Brooks down the sideline in the end zone was a, a thing of beauty. So I, I think that's the biggest takeaway for me here is that Alabama, even when they're not on all cylinders offensively, um, they just have – when you have a quarterback like Bryce Young and all the talent they have at wide receiver, uh, they can just make things happen um, in an instant here. And that's what we saw, I think, on this past Saturday. Yeah, see, Bryce Young is one of the most intriguing names that I've certainly had on my watch list throughout this season because it's just been so fun to see his progression week to week to week and just how he's continued to grow. And again, you know, I have a couple of friends that do cover the University of Alabama football team. They're on the beat there. I simply asked them, I'm like, hey, is Bryce Young as basically a freshman? Is he ahead of where a guy like Mac Jones and Tua Tagovailoa were and kind of their one year, one true year starting? And the answer I always get is yes. So I'm really excited to see what Bryce Young's going to do. And, you know, you mentioned this Auburn game that kind of took place on, I believe it was November 27th. So yeah, like a week or two ago. This was, I think, the game that kind of solidified what the Crimson Tide were, but then also what, um, who and who Bryce Young was. Because if you look at, it, I mean, he threw the ball 51 times at 25 completions at 317 yards and then two touchdowns to just one interception. But ultimately, you look at this game, I think that they won this game on the heels of Bryce Young, and he's really shown time and time again this season that one of the things you need to have as a quarterback is be as a true franchise quarterback and as a true face of any program is that you need to be someone that is going to absolutely take over when it matters the most. And that's exactly what Bryce Young did. And then when you look at um, other players on the Alabama offense, I mean, John Mechie Jr. is one of the few returning 
upperclassman from this year on Alabama. I mean, he had a big game in, or I'm sorry, against Auburn with 13 receptions, 150 yards. And he's certainly a name that I think right now is continuing to fly under the radar for the 2022 NFL draft. And in terms of when you do look at um, Auburn, Auburn's certainly been a fun team to watch too, because it's like they got absolutely annihilated by Georgia. They've had kind of their tight wins here and there. And I think overall, my opinion about Auburn this year is it's just like they're either a really good team or a really bad team. But when you do look at Auburn, I mean, okay, TJ Finley's, yeah, you know, he's looked pretty good. But I think Catavius Bigsby is a player that I've had, certainly had my eye on. Um, so ultimately, Auburn's kind of – they're just, I think, in this upcoming game here going to do enough, but Alabama's going to prevail on top. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Yeah, certainly big picture here for Alabama is that this keeps them in the college football playoff conversation because, you know, they, they were seriously on the ropes here in terms of, you know, if they lost this game, you know, would they be in the conversation here? Because Georgia, I think you can definitely assume that whether they win or lose the SEC championship game, they're going to be in the college football playoff. Michigan, they control their own destiny when it comes to the Big Ten championship. And then you have Cincinnati who's hanging around there at number four. I would assume that they take care of business. Um, that they're going to be in the college football playoff. But who knows? I think the committee could try to see any opportunity possible to kick them out because I think they know that uh, they probably stand no chance against a, a Georgia type of team at, at this point in time. Um, but again, you have Notre Dame hanging around. You still have uh, Oklahoma State hanging around. You know, there's still Ohio State even is hanging around, um, although I think their chances are probably done at this point. But um, you know, this was a big game for Alabama, and that kind of leads into the last thing I want to talk about before. Uh, you know, we close with Bears Cardinals and kind of preview that game. Um, that leads us kind of to, you know, really the big game this upcoming weekend. Obviously, there's a bunch of conference championships going on, but the one that I think is going to be really critical to watch is Alabama going up against Georgia. I think these, in my opinion, these are the two best teams in the country, uh, regardless of where they are ranked. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, Alabama, because I think Georgia, I think they are the better, more complete team. That defense uh, is just ridiculous. Uh, they've been ridiculous all year, and their offense does just enough, you know, to you know keep them to where they're winning comfortably, um, and, and they're not putting their defense in bad situations. And now they got like, George Pickens back at wide receiver, so maybe they, that adds a more explosive element to their offense that they really haven't had uh, for most of this year. So uh, this is going to be an intriguing one, not necessarily because, I mean, obviously there's going to be a ton of talent here to watch and to analyze here, but in terms of how, how this plays out for the college football playoff, if Alabama loses here, there's a possibility that, a very real possibility that uh, they might not be in the college football playoff when it's all said and done. Yeah, Georgia, you know, looking at Georgia football, right, I've really by far have said this time and time again. I mean, it's been so fun watching the entire defense this year, and really this Georgia – for this Georgia team, right, we talk about kind of who is the backbone of this defense. Well, it's guys like N'Kobe Dean. Time and time again, they've just had so much talent. And Georgia, I obviously understand it's developed a reputation as a, um, 
kind of defensive powerhouse, but they're going to have a lot of talent from the defensive side of the ball. Now, I think that this team is also in a couple of ways you're sticking with the defense. It's also one-sided, right? Because we've seen games where Georgia's taken over and just completely, the defense has taken over and completely won the game. Then you're also looking at times where, okay, the offense has looked pretty good as well. So ultimately for me, when it comes to this Georgia-Alabama game, I mean, you're I think Bryce Young's going to be, kind of the tipping point but then ultimately when you do look at this from another perspective as well I think the Georgia offense is going to have to be a major difference maker in this game if Georgia is going to go ahead and kind of knock off Alabama here and solidify their spot in the college football playoff yeah again like like I said before I think Georgia they are in regardless of the outcome here so really, you know, Alabama, I think they're going to have to give this one their best shot, really. I think this is a must-win game for Alabama if they want to, you know, solidify uh, their chances of being in the playoff. I, I Again, I still think they're the second-best team in the country. Georgia is number, right up there at number one. Um, and it's interesting because Georgia, I mean, they're the opposite of what, you know, college football has kind of trended towards, especially the SEC over the past few years, where the SEC has gone from a, you know, defensive, more defensive-minded conference to – a offensive driven conference where you have a lot of these teams who are focusing more on the perimeter and, you know, high flying offenses like LSU and Alabama over the past, past few years. And Georgia's kind of been a throwback to just a, a really great defense where they have incredible athletes at all three levels. They, they beat you up physically at the line of scrimmage. They just, they make it so tough there. Jordan Davis is, is pretty much unblockable um, in the run game. I, 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 you know, against any team really, I mean, he's just a mountain of a human being at like 350 pounds or whatever. So, um, I, this is going to be interesting. I think, I think, like you said, it's going to have to be on uh, Bryce Young here to kind of rally this team and really put it together for Alabama. Uh, he's going to have to give them their best shot because I think Georgia, they're going to take away the run game here again, led by Jordan Davis. Um, and it's going to be right on the right arm of, of Young and see what he can do here. And I, I think they have a chance, but it, it's going to be tough. I, I'm just really intrigued because this, the, the theme of this entire college football season has been that, you know, it, it's really been wide open from the very beginning. You know, you know, you never know. Who, we haven't really known besides Georgia who's going to be in the in the college football playoff throughout this year because good, you know, you know the best programs in the country. You know, they they've been winning a lot of games, but then they have these big losses here to you know smaller programs, and everything's been in flux here. And I, I think it's really coming out to the wire, and it'll be fun to see you know what happens with this one. I think this is going to be the big game to watch and. Uh, certainly, you know, other games like obviously Michigan and Iowa and everything going on in the Pac-12 conference conference championship and Big 12, uh, that'll be interesting to watch as well. Um, all right, you said, let's wrap this up by uh, shifting over away from college football now and just going to Bears Cardinals and giving our preview for this one, um, because that, that's another game to watch this weekend, of course, you know, besides college football. Uh, you know, what are the Bears going to do against the Cardinals coming up here? And it's, it's rumored right now that Justin Fields is not going to be playing on Sunday against the Cardinals is going to be Andy Dalton getting the start once again as uh, Fields recovers from his rib injury. So you say, I'm going to go to you. Uh, you know, what is your prediction for this game and what do you think is going to be the X factor in this one? Yeah, so I'm going to say the Cardinals getting Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins back is certainly going to make the biggest difference. I think that those two guys coming back and being fully healthy is going to be an X factor itself. I'm going to go ahead and say that the Bears secondary is also an X factor. Cardinals come into Soldier Field on what's expected to be a sloppy, wet, nasty, rainy December day, and they win 31 to 10. I know that sounds kind of a bit of a stretch because the weather this time of year usually favors the Bears, but hey, guess what? 
The Cardinals have a very good rushing attack. They've also got a really good aerial attack. The Bears, unfortunately, they struggle when it comes to stopping the pass. The secondary's been mediocre at best this season. There are miscommunication issues that were prevalent in weeks one, two, and three that are still prevalent here going into week 13. And then you look at the biggest factor of all. I mean, get away from, you know, the Cardinals just having a better roster than the Bears overall and being better coached. Well, guess what? The Bears, Akeem Hicks, Roquan Smith, Marquise Goodwin, guys like Mario Edwards, you know, Allen Robinson as well. Those are all regular starters on your team that didn't practice. So being as shorthanded as the Bears are, not having Roquan Smith, especially on defense, is going to make a big difference in the outcome of this game. Yeah, the Bears, they, they're battered. They're, they're injured all over the place. They're not starting, I, I think, the better quarterback on the roster. And the Cardinals, they're getting healthy at the right time here. Like you said, they're getting Kyler Murray back healthy. Uh, they're getting DeAndre Hopkins back healthy. I don't think this will be particularly close. Um, I, I think the Cardinals are going to win this game. Uh, 38 to 14 is my prediction. I, I, I think it's going to be a blowout win um, in convincing fashion. This is not going to be a very fun game to watch, um, in my opinion. You know, maybe there's a scenario where uh, the Bears, they can, if they can run the ball on, on this Cardinals defense that isn't the greatest at stopping the run, they're a little bit soft up front. Uh, maybe they can establish that run game early on and control the clock and control the possessions uh, and keep the score down that they might have a chance of keeping this game close. But ultimately, I mean, the Cardinals, they're a much more talented team. And the X factor, I, I think you kind of nailed it. The secondary for the Bears is going to be the X factor in this one because, you know, with all the injuries they have, uh, obviously Duke Shelley, uh, you know, being out in the slot, uh, they're starting Xavier Crawford, I think, at, at, in the slot position. And then Artie Burns is going to be starting on the outside, or it's going to be a rotation of Artie Burns and Kendall Vildor. Like, how are they going to match up against this Cardinals wide receiving core where you have DeAndre Hopkins, you have uh, Christian Kirk, you have uh, Rondell Moore, you have all these guys that can just give you fits a, as a defense here. And with Khalil Mack out for the year, Akeem Hicks probably not playing again. Uh, now Roquan Smith out probably for this game. Like, I mean, Robert Quinn's had a great season, don't get me wrong, but there's only so much he can do to impact this game. And yeah, I think this is going to be a game that gets ugly pretty quickly. Um, Andy Dalton need to have the game of his life, I think, in order to keep this game watchable. And I just don't see that happening because the Cardinals, they've had a good defense this year and um, they're kind of, you know, they have this hybrid weird defense where they can do a lot of things with a lot of hybrid athletes and it's been working for them, man. And, you know, I, I just don't see how this works out for the Bears here. I think, again, this is going to be an ugly one on Sunday. And, you know, hopefully things get better against Green Bay the next week because, you know, this the Cardinals, they're the best team in the NFC. They have the best record for a reason. They're a really damn good team. And uh, it, it's just tough to see a scenario where the Bears come out on top here. All right, guys, that's going to wrap it for us here at the Face for Face podcast. We talked about a lot on today's episode here, but – you know, I, I think ultimately there's going to be even more to cover as the season continues pro to progress. And we get closer and closer to draft season, which is always fun in and of itself. So, you know, really, it, we're kind of in the last month here before we're kind of shifting gears officially just all into the draft. And um, that, that's when things are really going to get fun for us here at Pistol Pace. So uh, for all of our listeners out there, make sure to follow us um, on social media, on Twitter, at Pistol Pace, where We'll be doing uh, updates for our work as well as just, you know, on Saturdays following some of the games and some of the prospects uh, you said, you know, where can our, our listeners uh, find you on social media and find your work. Yeah, guys, you can follow me on Twitter at Usaid Koshal. Check out my work on the Bear Report. I've got a couple of articles dropping weeklies. Um, 
including some post-game stuff as well. And then obviously I'm on this podcast every week too. Absolutely. Uh, you, you can follow me on Twitter at Adrian Freeman 25. You can find my work uh, at the bear report as well. Of course, I keep, keep on doing my uh, tracking the trenches series every single week. So you can check that out on the bear report. I do that for every single bears game, looking at uh, the bears defensive line pass rush and the odds of line, how they do in pass protection. So if you're into stats and um, all the breaking down the trenches and all that, I definitely recommend uh, giving that a read. And, you know, for those who have been following some of my work on YouTube for the Bear Report, haven't released any videos in a while. Um, there have been some technical problems uh, in terms of getting videos, you know, actually being able to make the videos, and as well as just some personal professional stuff that have kind of uh, been in the way of me having the time to kind of address that recently. But I do plan on having some projects in the works coming up shortly, um, hopefully, hopefully soon, I, I would imagine. Um, but hoping to get all that settled and uh, definitely have some great ideas that I'll be looking to do um, as the season winds down and after the season as well. So keep an eye out there on the Bearport YouTube channel. And uh, we're going to do some video stuff on, on the Bearport as well in terms of other things as well. So definitely keep an eye out there and, and subscribe to the Bearport on YouTube. All right. To all of our listeners, once again, I want to thank everyone for giving us a listen here on all podcasting platforms. Uh, you know, it means a lot for us to, uh, for all of our listeners out there to your, for your continued support. And uh, we just hope that, you know, with this upcoming game that, uh, you know, obviously college football is going to be a big time, big time weekend for college football. And of course the bears, you know, hopefully this game is watchable this upcoming weekend because the schedule just continues to be rough for the bears coming up here with some of the tough games they have, but you know, until next time, time bears fans bear down, have a happy, fun and safe weekend. And we'll be talking to you guys next week where hopefully we have a fun Bears game to talk about here and some interesting college football stuff to continue to discuss. Have a great weekend, everybody. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens. And that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com